Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Y'all know what time it is. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Here we Kyle's coughing, so I guess that means here we go. Here we go. Kicking it off. That means we're off. We're up and running. Yes, we are. Welcome to another episode of the Two Tongues Podcast. A very, very special 4th of July episode of the Two Tongues Podcast. Yep. (laughs) America. So it's funny uh, because Jessica and I took the kids to the park this morning early because it's going to be hot today. And uh, I could not stop... Uh, singing songs from the Team America soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Today's the day for it, man. America! Oh, you know what I was singing? Uh, freedom isn't free. You know that one? <laughs> There's a hefty fucking fee. Yeah. Freedom oh, yeah, cost a buck oh five. Yeah, dude. That's my singing. We, uh, <clears throat> I, do, I do think it's uh, important that we take a moment and appreciate everything that is American today. Like monster energy drinks <laughs> and diabetes and diabetes. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to necessarily jump in really quickly here, but when I was t- telling you about singing those uh, Team America songs in my head and that song "Freedom Isn't Free," obviously it's the, they're the South Park guys, and they did all the music, and that's awesome. That movie was awesome, and those guys are creative and funny, and uh, how they get away with saying the things they do, you know, it, it, especially in this day and age, is beyond me. Uh, but God bless them. The reason I bring it up is because the words to that song, as funny as they are, at this point in my life, I started thinking about them in like a literal way. So if you remember, he says, um, well, he says, freedom isn't free. It costs folks like you and me. If we don't, if we don't all chip in, we'll never pay that bill. That's those little words that he says. He says, um, "Oh boy, now now I'm now I'm losing it." Something about something about the um, oh shit. I'll have to I'll have to circle back to this. Something about the the sacrifice, the the basically the the kids, the teenagers that were being enlisted. I'm just thinking when that song came out, it was like right after 9/11. That was the whole thing. That was why it was so funny. America, World Police. Yeah. That's why it was so funny. It was right at that time, and. Um, um, I lost my train of thought, but anyway, we'll, we'll circle back to it. It's it's uh, you know we well the point is we were we were military age back then basically, so it was a serious thing for us, and, and you know we laughed at that movie and we had reason to, but the point is, and I'm just sinking into my country music personality for a second, that that kids did die and they yeah. and, and they have and they we ask them to die. That's the thing. So and oh man. That's what we're doing, you know. We're 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 somehow we're somehow. I mean, it's not not like we're there's a draft anymore, but we have a we have a for now we have an emergency, a national emergency, and we have this thing called patriotism that that lifts young people's spirits, thinking that they might matter, that they might mean something more than what a teenager thinks of themselves, which is not very much. Mm-hmm. And the idea that they might do something great is so inspiring that that they're willing to fight for freedom whatever that means and and die for freedom and that there's all these moms and dads with smiles on their face sending their kids off to the, to serve the country and there's this pride surrounding that this like i said this just joy of this patriotism that i'm talking about and it just seems to me now that we and i don't know who we is in this example but we use that to manipulate young people basically young young men between the ages of 18 and 25 mostly yep. um, to convince them to go out and die and it's like it's like certain number of you have to die yeah and that's what you're signing up for and you don't know which one of you is it's gonna be it's a fucking lottery but you, we're gonna send you over there and you're gonna die because it's the price of freedom Jesus Christ man yep I mean you are 
preaching to the choir. Uh, this is, you know, the war thing is like my main issue uh, politically. Um, it's the thing. It's the thing that I think we're doing that is, you know, morally maybe the most reprehensible thing as as a country, as a you know a state unit, the United States government. I mean, you know, it, what we're doing to our own people, what we're doing to people all over the world who are not our people, you know, um, right. it's fucked up. It's a lot of fucked up stuff, man. You know, it's it's weird because I try to th- I try to. It's easy for me to remember. 9-11, yeah. you know, because I was I was in high school. I was like a sophomore or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I was a junior. I don't remember. I was a sophomore, so I think you were I was a junior. junior. Okay. So I remember I watched it on TV, uh, you know, the whole thing. You know, it's, it's like that JFK assassination moment for our parents or something. It's like, you know, that, that thing. I remember it, and I remember the feeling. I remember... Um, you know all the flags that everybody had up, and yeah. all the the unity that we felt. Mm-hmm. And I remember how that's the story that the media was telling you, and and you know there was it was true to some degree. Yeah. I, I remember the the I don't want to say incentive, but the pull to want to serve the country at that time. Um, I remember that, and I remember it being publicly. Uh, at the time, it was publicly popular. It was like, yes, those guys, those guys struck at us. How dare they? We got to, we got to strike back. Absolutely, you know. And uh, so there was like the public support for it. But then you go back and you try to put yourself in this in the shoes of uh, like the soldiers in Vietnam, where there wasn't any public support for it. Um, and then you put yourself back in like the the shoes of the Revolutionary War people, where it was literally life and death. Yeah, and. Uh, and Jess's dad, he asked me this morning, he's like, he was like, hey, you know, like, when when we were colonies and the king was across the ocean, you know, like, messages were sent by ship. Mm-hmm. It's like, you have no idea. You're supposed to be the king of this, of the, of all these 13 colonies over here. And it's like, you don't know what's going on. You have no idea what's going on. You can't control it. You know, it's like, how could you possibly think, King George, that you could rule this country over here? It seems ridiculous. <clears throat> and the people who fought in that revolution, I just wonder what it what 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 it was like. I wonder what you know, like like what portion of the population supported it. You know, obviously people weren't going to be talking about it publicly because the British would just cut your fucking head off. Yeah. But it's like, uh, I'm just trying to imagine what a popular revolution must have been like when you were the kid 18 years old holding the musket. Yeah. Because, good question. because it's, it was, you could might say it was kind of like that with, with nine 11, but we weren't fighting that war here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I tell you, I think that, Things are closer to that now than they ever have been before. Um, You know, all this talk about domestic extremists, you know, Mm. um, ever since the January 6th insurrection. Um, And one thing that I, I, a thought that I had is, you know, over the last 10 years, we'll say the accusations of racism have been rampant. Okay. Oh God. All over the place. And one thing that I think happens to a certain portion of the population is that if you keep calling me racist, I'm going to go ahead and be racist. Like I'll be the monster. The, Oh, you want a monster? I'll be the monster. You know, like I think that people adopt that, you know, they take on that mantle. I'm going to say something unpopular. I'm going to say something that I I imagine something you might say to make, to get a rise out of me in this situation. So this is the thing. It's like if you're being told you're racist and you're not and you don't feel that you are, but you can people continue to insist that you are, it becomes like obviously like you're you're being called a name at some point. And of course you're going to get angry if somebody's calling you a name. Um I don't really remember where I was going with that Kyle, but <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, I know I remember what it was. It was it was imagine you're being called this name over and over and over again. You're getting very upset. Yeah. Now now picture the person who keeps pointing at you calling you the name is black. Okay, if that's the case, are you trying to tell me that it's unjustified for me to have bad feelings against this particular black person? <coughs> um, you know, like that is how you cause racism. Sure, you you get people to identify differently. You pit them against each other for one reason or another, sure. and you just fucking sit back and watch watch the the effects. Yep. So I think that that same kind of logic is going to apply to the these domestic extremists. I think that labeling people domestic extremists is going to create people who are identify as domestic extremists. 
So this, so you're using that word domestic extremist, which I haven't heard yet. I remember them saying um, <coughs> domestic terrorists. So now, so now to hear the word domestic extremist, I'm, I'm guessing is something that is now being said in the, in the, in the news. It's now a coined term. Yeah. I hate using them because, yeah. because every time there's a new phrase that's invented, I know I'm being manipulated and I yeah, fucking yeah. hate it. Well, I think at least you know it. So at least I know it. Yeah. Um, and I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering, man. And I don't know. Let me ask you. When I think of domestic terrorists or domestic extremists, whatever the fuck that means, huh? domestic means we live here together. Extremist means we have ideas that are that are outside of the ordinary. Yeah. Now that can mean any number of things, and only a small portion of them are dangerous. So this is what I mean: we're being manipulated with language. The, the, the point I'm bringing up is: Do you remember historically how much trouble extremists in this country have caused? So I, I, groups come to mind, like the Black Panthers, like the Ku Klux Klan, mm-hmm. like um, the Mafia during during Prohibition, like the Italian Mafia during Prohibition. Sure. These are domestic ec- extremists, I guess, domestic terrorists, you could say, criminals that are here, bad, super bad criminals that are here. So, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm just wondering, how much damage, like, you know, even thinking of one that's racially motivated, like, like the KKK, obviously they had de- deaths on their hands. And those were organized. But as far as I know, and maybe I'm wrong, even at the height of that type of like post-Civil War, at the height of that type of, uh, of, of you know, racial you know, tensions, when the Ku Klux Klan had more members than it's ever had, that there weren't, there weren't big organized groups of people burning, burning buildings down or you know, making a ruckus. There were lynch mobs. And, those, and in my mind, those, are, <coughs> those were, you know... 10, 15, 20, 100 yeah. people. 100 people seems like a lot. Yeah. You know, I don't know how that often that actually ever happened. Sure. And to pretend like today that's a danger, you know, trying to compare that to, you know, 1880s, you know, sat in the South. It's like you would expect you would see more shit, you know, you know, post-Civil War between, between brothers with all that animosity. But put it, you know, fast forward to today, where is, you know, we're so far removed from that. To pretend like that's a danger now is fucking ridiculous, man. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And I'm, I'm not saying that it's not a danger. It's always a danger that some crazy person is going to do some crazy shit. What I'm saying is that I have a very difficult time believing that there is an organized effort of any kind, racially motivated or not, with any numbers to make any difference in this country. That's what that's what I think. Um. Yeah, I I don't know you. So I guess I agree with that for the most part. I think. You know, like earlier you were talking about the American Revolution and you're like, I wonder how many people agreed with it. Uh, I do think that you don't need, this is a thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently, is that you don't have to change the minds of the majority. That's like a thing that's going on in the libertarian world right now. It's like you've got Dave Smith, who you've listened to before. Mm -hmm. He wants to be, you know, he's going going for the uh, presidential nomination and he's like, we're going to use this presidential, you know, the, this run for pres- the presidency to spread the message. Um, and we need to convert as many people as we possibly can, which I agree with to some extent. You know, it's good to have numbers. Numbers is good. That being said, I don't think that we need to change the mind of the majority. Like, I think that idea that if a small goal-seeking minority can be very effective because the majority just doesn't care. Like uh, mm. that's something that Murray Rothbard talked about in that thing, anatomy of the state, the mm. majority, the average guy is not coming up with ideas. He's, uh, he's, th- you know, he's not even really thinking about ideas. I mean, I don't, uh, that sounds condescending on some level, but people just don't, you so, know, uh, I got one for you. So I had a, a podcast with uh, Josh Hamilton. I told you, which will release uh, probably on Wednesday. And, uh, he he had a word for that, and I don't know if he invented this or not, but I got a chuckle out of me. He he calls them sheeple. Yeah, yeah, sheeple. <laughs> yeah, I've heard so, that one before. I never did. So, yeah. you're, but you're right though. The vast majority of people can't be bothered to care about really anything. For- and I don't even mean that as an insult. You know, it it is what it is. Most people uh, just don't care. That's fine. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I don't know. I think um, I don't know that our efforts should be concentrated on trying to change the masses minds to some extent you know i think we we obviously oh, still you, need to change minds are you but. referring to when you say the masses are you referring to to stomp out the quote unquote domestic terrorism well i'm sorry i don't know what you mean 
Well, that's what we were talking about. We were talking about domestic terrorism yeah, yeah. when you started talking about uh, talking about this. I, I was just wondering what the connection was between the. You said because you, you were talking about a small group of people yeah. uh, who are dedicated and goal oriented can basically push things along because everybody else just stands around and does nothing. Yeah, which actually does make perfect sense, and it does put it does put the domestic extremists in a different perspective for me in okay. the, in the sense yeah, yeah. that you might not need a lot of them. Yeah. To make some sort of negative difference that, or positive, or, or positive difference. difference, you yeah. know, as the case may be. Um, so that that's a good point. That's an excellent point. Yeah, that is what I was trying to get at. Um, I also think that depending on how these people are defining domestic extremists or domestic terrorists, I mean, I, there might be some of that out there. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, you know. It, one thing, and the reason this comes up is because a lot of people with like, uh, what's the dude's name? John Brennan. He was the leader of the C. He was the head of the CIA for a while. He has like talked about libertarians as, as you terrorists? know, like yeah, exactly, like crazy anti-government extremists. Which, I mean, I'm not really, I'm not going to deny that that's a great description of me, to be honest with you. But uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I mean, I'm not out there like committing violent acts or anything. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, am I an anti-government extremist? I think that we should like get rid of the government, and uh, you know, if yeah, so I guess that makes me an anti-government extremist. Well, but. I have to, I have to say, man, since we started this podcast and started talking politics a little bit more together, um, I never really thought about the state, mm -hmm. like regardless of what form it takes, what form it, of government, that the state itself is unnecessary. That's something that I never really considered, like really ever considered. Yeah. And, and once I did, I started, I started finding myself thinking very differently about it. Like, oh, okay, so, so we could have a society and a culture that unifies us without needing a governing body to take to take money from us to and do all the public services that we could otherwise do all all by ourselves mm -hmm. and it's like that idea is just never fucking occurred to me cuz i thought you know anarchy was an interesting idea and freedom is is uh you know a valuable goal mm -hmm. um you know it seems better than the alternative but the idea that government wasn't necessary to have any of those things i guess it just never really yeah i just never really thought of that so i uh, i mean that is 100% how I feel. I think that anything, and it's weird because knowing how you felt, you know, we've talked about politics our whole lives, but um, so knowing how you felt your whole life, I would say that you've always leaned very libertarian, like very libertarian. Right. So on some level, it's like maybe you never like consciously thought we could do without the state, but on some level, I think you have always thought that the smaller the government, the better. I have, yes. So that's kind of like saying the same thing, just in different terms. So, and I wonder how big the gap is between those two ideas, between between a state but a small government, like a very limited local-based yeah. government uh, versus a real working anarchy. Yeah. Well— you know, that's a, that's another thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately is I have all these ideas, these ideals, but how do we manifest them in reality? You know what I mean? Mm. And I don't think that there's any way I'm going to be able to like snap my fingers and boom, we live in the perfect libertarian, you know, anarcho-capitalist world. So it's like, how do you make a difference? How do you start edging... You know, how do you start pushing things that needle in the favor of more liberty as opposed to more, you know, mm. because like you can't just snap your fingers, like I said. Yeah. Like I, I wish that I wish that more people were sufficiently motivated to like it, it was worthwhile for them to understand all the things that are going on um, politically and socially that we that we believe to be, you know, manipulative and negative to actually pay attention and notice those things and and question them like the, the i don't know how you would even begin to in, to incentivize people to get to that place yeah. you know so many people think politics is 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 just a bullshit game um it's just a necessary evil or something and uh it's true man yeah i agree with that i think that um politics can be very effective like i think the people who wield power in politics 
do it well on some, you know, in some respects, they do it well. They've been doing it for, you know, as long as we've had a government. Um, but, you know, I just don't think that it does. I just think things would be done better privately. Mm. I mean, I'm sure that doesn't go as a surprise to anybody hearing me say that, but. Doesn't come as a, as a surprise to me. Um, but I mean, and we talked about this before, like with the Andy Griffith thing, you know, we, where we talked about policing. It's like um, if you had a police force where the people who were on the force lived in the community and in their jurisdiction was limited enough that they everybody knew them and they knew everybody and they were part of the community and they, and they knew where the dangers were and they knew when there, when there was somebody there that wasn't supposed to be there and policing yeah. and policing was more of a community thing and police officers were so much more of a respected part of the community like that model we could have that model today we would just have to break up all of the all of the you know the jurisdictions. We'd have to break up all the police forces and make them smaller. We'd have to make rules that that say. And here I am talking about rules on being an anti-government person, or, or at least a small government. Never person. not going to be rules. I mean, um, and the rules are that you have to live in the community where you're policing. Yeah. Um, something like that. That that idea that model is exact. You apply that to everything. You apply that to social security. You apply you apply you know assuming you want to keep a system like that. Sure. You apply that to the to the postal service. You apply that to the uh, you know the infrastructure uh, you know the programs. You apply that to every every aspect of have a small you know manageable um, system that has that's less exposed to corruption and you know it's like hey man if I'm overcharging as a contractor. I have a government job and I'm overcharging as a contractor and I have a bid with three other comp companies trying to get the money from the, from the government for this infrastructure project. And it just so happens that all three construction companies are owned by three, you know, local community members who know the city council and know the, yeah. you know, it's like it's how much how much less likely is it going to be that you're going to manipulate that that and get away with it yep. and overcharge the way that the way that you know union and government contracts are basically all everywhere mm -hmm. um it, it just seems to me that that having it smaller having it being run by the community hell yeah that 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 makes a difference that is um basically where my head's at and I'm not alone on this so there's a lot of people you know whose podcasts I listen to who talk about this sort of thing um I think that it's all about decentralization. You know, like I said, you're never go I'm never going to be able to snap my fingers and make it all go away. So if I can just make it to where it's more localized, that's I think that's the strategy we should make going forward. Because you're going to have you're going to have less less waste, less mm -hmm. corruption, more accountability. That's that's what you want in government. Yep. That's what our founding fathers wanted when they created checks and balances and the, yeah. you know it's like, do I think that ideally we should just get rid of all of it? Yeah, that is how I feel. That being said, it's like, uh, you know, we talked in another podcast. It's like, I don't really like the idea of nationalism. Okay, I'm not crazy about nationalism, but I prefer nationalism to globalism. So uh, it's kind of like, right? you know, I just have to pick some, I, I, I have to try to move the needle. Otherwise, nothing is going to happen, period, mm. you know? So. so I have a thought on this, uh, something that dawned on me when I said to you just a minute ago that uh, that the solution is to have have the community running running itself, you know, basically. Uh, that, that word, though, community, that's something that I have mixed feelings about. It, it seems like, first of all, I don't know that I feel like I have much of a community. Yeah. Even though I live in a suburb surrounded by thousands of presumably nice people with, you know, you know, whatever. Um, my point I'm making is that the culture has become, and this part of this has to do with technology. Part of this has to do with the, the social way that we exist now. Um, but part of it has to do with, um, the message from the media, the, the division between, between races and sexual orientations and religious people and non-religious yeah. people and all the things that, that, that have been done. Best just to keep your opinions to yourself. To, yeah. To limit, just you know, chop, chop, chop us all up like that. Build walls. So it seems to me that there's, that there's influence from the government and yeah. from the media and from the culture for, for some reason that I can't quite understand that is diminishing community. It's keeping us separate from each other. Like all of those people that live in these New York high rises 
that live in a building with 50,000 people and don't know their neighbors and they've been there for 25 years. Yeah. It's like something weird about that. We're, we're a community, even when we're even when we're crushed in like little sardine cans with each other, where we don't speak to each other, we don't have relationships with each other. It's not like Mayberry anymore. Mm-hmm. Why, man? It seems like how how are we? How can we ask the community to take care of itself when when it's, it doesn't seem like there's a community anymore? Yeah. And then I and then I and I sorry to keep going, but I but I can tell you something like that, and I and I feel that way. You know, and maybe that maybe I'm partly to blame for that. But then I and then I can tell you about last night, right down the street here, they had um, music that they had live music out here. Um, it's basically in a little shopping complex, and they, you know, had you know free live music, and all these people from the community came, and there's food trucks, and there's people, and it's just like, you know, it was a really nice thing to have right there close by. And Je- Jessica and I, we went, we we met. Some strangers, we had fun, you know. It's like that's possible, and the community parts of the community are trying. They're doing stuff like that, trying to bring bring people together. Um, but then the opposite's true, like I, like we just talked about, where it seems like, you know, there's forces that are that are trying to prevent us from feeling like family. Yeah, I think that that's true, and I I, I think it's interesting with that. You know, the cultural forces that are driving people to separate and build walls and not come together. Uh, You know, it's almost like tinfoil hattie to be like, I feel like that's on purpose. People are doing that on purpose. Um, I don't know that people are doing that on purpose. But if they were doing it, if they if they were doing it on purpose, they're doing it perfectly. You know what I mean? Um, If there are people who are like being manipulative of us. Um, having us all fighting about stupid shit is a great tactic, and they're doing it masterfully. You're right about that. So you're right about that. I don't know. It's working. It's working. I just wonder, man. It's like <clears throat> if there were more people who got as angry as I do, and I'm struggling with this because I'm. I, we were just talking before the podcast. Is I'm getting older, and uh, I'm finding myself more. I, I call it crotchety old man syndrome, but I'm finding myself feeling more and and acting more like the crotchety old men in, in my in my family, in my life. The people that you know that get to that point where they don't give a shit anymore and they lose some of their politeness and they lose some of their cultural sensitivity. And uh, like and, and I just feel myself uh, getting there. Um, and I don't exactly know why I'm telling you this. The point I was trying to get to is is I, I, I wish there were more people who got angry like I'm like I get. And again, maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe I'm just getting old and crotchety. But when when a, a new word pops up in the media, like you dumped on me when you got here, um, or or a new message or or whatever it is, that people realize that they're being told what to think. Yeah. If more people got angry when that happened, then there would be pressure on the media to change their behavior. Yeah. But because nobody gets angry, even though I'm for sure certain that there are lots of people who are angry about it, but never say anything about it. I, I don't know. Like, do we do we want to encourage more people to feel that way? Like, like um, they're not going to allow themselves to be manipulated, and they are going to stand up and say something about it, so that so, so that you know the the powers that be realize that the, yeah. the, the, you know the the media realizes that they're going to lose an audience. That you know, but but that that's not happening. Is my point? I do think it's happening. Actually, I think that. Um the you know this is something they talked about in that Jordan Peterson Michael Malice podcast is the writing is on the wall for these people you know like they're still kind of on top of things and they still have their weapons that they use but um the writing's on the wall they're not going to be calling the shots for too much longer uh and until that time comes you can expect them to like claw and fight for mm. power you know mm. um but uh you know i i where, where do you think the writing on the wall? Where do you think that that you're seeing that now? Like, because like I understand that there's like there like there are polls where you say how popular is, is uh, Trump um, is the possibility of Trump winning in 2024, and you have polls that suggest he's far more popular than Biden would be in 2024, all things considered. So there's things like that. You know, that might be, you might say, writing on the wall. But I don't put a lot of stock in that sort of thing. I'm talking about, like, ratings for the most part. Like, people just ratings. aren't watching anymore. Oh. So, um, that's what I mean. You know, um, you can find 
footage recently of you know what's that dude's name Brian Stelter do you know who he is little little fucking round goblin I cannot fucking stand Brian <laughs> Stelter uh, he, Fox guy no oh, okay. uh, CNN guy I think he's supposed to be like the media watchdog mm. um, I can't fucking stand him uh, I don't remember why I brought him oh um, he was uh, on his show I can't remember what it's called but he was talking about how are all these these YouTube mis you know disinformation agent type you know people fake news people how are they getting more ratings than we do, um, and and it's because the, it don't I don't understand how he doesn't understand this it's because you've been exposed as liars all of you have been exposed as liars partisan hack liars so absolutely um, that's I mean they're just. If your game is pass, you know, passing on information that people are going to believe, like the worst thing that you can do is discredit yourself. So I feel like it's only a matter of time. Like all these people who are like growing up right now and seeing how full of shit they are, hmm. I just can't imagine in the future that they're going to have faith in them. Oh, you know? no. Well, so. the, the hypocrisy is, is so obvious. It's it's not even funny anymore. Yeah. It's not. It's like embarrassing. It's it's embarrassing. Yeah. I don't know what to say about that. I don't either. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right. What else we got, Kyle? Um, let's see. I had something written down. Oh, you said something about ideals manifested in reality, but I totally lost that that yeah. thread. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, did you? Did we talk about that? You said you had one thing in particular. Oh, yeah. Did we have? Did, did we talk about? No, that? we didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it. Um, so I was w listening to Joe's podcast with who? 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 Jogan. Um, can't remember if it was Joe or not. I think it was, um, because recently I was l listening to a few episodes of Joe, and I listened to Jordan Peterson's conversation with uh, this guy named John. Uh, something with a V, John, he's a, another psychology professor at the University of Toronto, so they knew each other. Gotcha. And that conversation was really fun for me to listen to, yeah. because uh, you could tell they were buddies, gotcha. and Jordan was like way looser, like in a way that you're not accustomed to hearing him talk, okay. and he kept using, he kept using uh, John's first name during the conversation, so he, and he's Canadian, so he's, to me, it's, to me it was like, uh, um, oh God. What's the guy's name from uh, the Canadian comedian? The the glasses. Uh, come on, uh, from from our childhood. My bum is on the my bum is on the moose. Oh, Tom Green. Tom Green. Thank okay. you. Do you remember Tom? Do you remember Tom Green in uh, uh, that movie? The the, uh, the fucking what is it called? Freddie um, got fingered. No, 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 no. Um, oh, the one with Jason Lee. The one with Jason Lee. I know what you're talking about. All right. So in that. So he's so funny in that in that movie. Stealing Harvard. Stealing Harvard, yes. Because he's talking to Jason Lee, whose name is John. And he's like, John, you know what your problem is, John? And he's always using yeah, his yeah, name, yeah. John. Well, this is what Jordan Peterson's doing with his, with this guy, John. He's just uh, you know, having this conversation. And he just he, it, So anyway, the point is, it reminded me of him, and I was just cracking up. Because they're funny. both Canadian. This, in, in this case, they're both named John. John! Um, <laughs> why was it? Oh, yeah. Uh, I was telling you that for, for just because of in the context of whatever it was, either that conversation or the Joe Rogan podcast that I was listening to. And they were talking about, this must have been Joe, because they were talking about um, extending life. So it was, a, it was a scientist he was talking to. It must have been Joe. And he was saying about all the different things that, uh, that they're working on to figure out how to <coughs> quote unquote reverse aging, you know? So all the, this medical research that goes into that. Yeah. And so this thought came to my mind because the guy's saying, he's saying basically that the goal is that they'll be able to program uh, viruses that do whatever magic they're doing to your DNA that makes you young again. Maybe it's extending your telomeres or repairing oxidation damage or whatever it is that, that, that they think you have to do to make you young again, yeah. that, that you'll be able to take a pill and the virus will go and do its viral thing and whatever that magic is that they've, that they've done to the virus is going to make you young again. So every 10 years you take a pill and you just get 10 years younger or something. I don't know how this is supposed to work. Or you're, maybe you're able to maintain some youthful age of your cho choosing. I don't, this is the, the ideal goal of this project. And so he, the way he's describing it is people get to live forever. And that might actually be a possibility with science progressing to a certain, a certain point. Yeah. And so I'm asking myself, you know, if you could live forever, and, I'm, and you know, my, I'm like... <laughs> 
thinking about reading those Anne Rice books growing up, you know, and, and Anne Rice wrote for the audience who don't, maybe don't know, um, these vampire books that were highly popular in the 80s and 90s, the movie Interview with the Vampires based on one of her books, Queen of the Damned is based on one of her books. Um, it's good shit. It's good, yeah, she, you know, Anne Rice, so <laughs> she's all, she's very, very liberal, but I love, I love Anne Rice. Good writer, good um, author. And so she has books about immortals, whether they're vampires or other types of immortals, and there's these heroic stories about these people that live forever, basically, and the struggles that they deal with that you can imagine up if you if you think about it for more than ten seconds. Like you, you know, she's got this immortal. Um, he, you know, he became immortal like in the first century Roman Empire or whatever it is, and he he has to see all of his family die and all of his friends die, and then he has to like put himself out there. Uh, you know, after he gets over his uh, his his psychological torment of all, of everyone he ever knew dying to put himself back out there to make new relationships only to know that those people are going to grow old and die as well and uh so it's like all it's like the human dilemma but he, but they have to live it over and never over ended. and over and then there's other things that you, that regular human beings never have to experience like the death of your culture where where you're you know you you live so long that your entire culture you know, is unrecognizable. It's changed completely. Yeah. The language has changed. Like you outlive the language that That's you great. used to speak. So anyway, I, I, <laughs> I bring up all these examples because this guy's basically saying, what if we could live forever? And normally people think of that like, oh, Jesus, you know, if I live to be 100 years old, what kind of miserable life is that going to be? I'm going to be so old and frail and feeble. I won't be able to do anything. I'll be in constant pain. You know, I, that doesn't sound great. Living forever, if that's how I'm going to live, doesn't sound great. But then I'm like, well, what if you weren't like that? So this guy's saying you could be 30, you know, forever. So that opens the door. It's like, hey, I'm not going to have as as much of an objection or I'm not going to have the same objections to living forever if I get to be youthful. Yeah. If, I don't, if I'm not going to be suffering and I get to be youthful, you know, the, I, the, the thing is, what might be possible? And I just, this is just like a science fiction fucking idea, you know, dreaming up what might be possible realistically if people could live forever. So I'd like to know what you think about that uh, before I tell you some ideas that I was thinking about. Good, good or bad, good or bad. If you, if you could be, you know, the you that you are now, as long as you want to be. Yeah. I mean, you would be able, I think that, what am I trying to say here? Like the human capability for achievement is such that I think if somebody could be in their prime for an extended period of time, That's it. that that could have, you know, incredible benefits, you know, incredible positive rewards from that. Um, but, you know, there's everything's like a double-edged sword. There's going to be drawbacks. There's going to be consequences to that too. And, but that's, a, that's another interesting question is what might those consequences be? So I want to get there, but, but I think you're on the same <coughs> trend of thought as me. So what I was thinking about was like, well, not in exactly this way, but since you, since you were the last person to speak, guitar. That's, sure. not, that's something that you learned. And if you had a forever lifetime to, to get better at it, how good could you get could you be Jimi Hendrix good? Could yeah. you be... Or could you be like... Could you be a super him. saiyan Jimi yeah, Hendrix? Exactly. Could music evolve to an entirely new level because yeah. you have musicians who've been studying for 500 years? Yeah. Like, what kind of music would those motherfuckers be coming up with? You know? Yep. I, I see where you're coming from. What about... What about medicine like like or or technology you've got somebody who's working on a certain type of technology and eventually he gets old and dies and the newbies have to pick up his research and continue imagine if that guy's still around to help the newbies you know out to to build a team up you know who knows what kind of progress could be made in scientific theory and technology and medicine if if the smartest and best people have have infinitely longer to continue to do that i think about it in terms of um like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, totalitarian rulers, rulers who have complete control through in, oh, throughout history. Like Jesus. you think of um, Alexander the Great. You know, if you have Alexander the Great as your leader, you're lucky. You know, this is the, something that's been talked about a lot. Uh, like Dan Carlin, I've heard talk about this. Sometimes you don't always have De um, Alexander the Great, though. You know, it's like a roll of the dice. 
Um, so I think uh, I just imagine that, you know, you, you, Alexander the, the Great dies and his empire is split up between, you know, like three people who are, you know, impressive people. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, what if it, what if he could have just stayed alive forever? Well, like what might what might have happened? Well, that's interesting because because the impact of Alexander the Great on world history cannot be overestimated. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, Alexander the Great Hellenized, he Hellenized the world from, from Greece all the way to India. Yeah. And if he, if he were immortal, let's say, um, he would have continued. He would have, he would have marched through India. He would have marched through China until he hit the ocean. And what might, what, you know, and that would be an interesting, what's that, uh, show that talks about like what, what would happen if the Soviets won the, the, um, oh, I know what you're talking about. I think whatever that show is, yeah, yeah. it's like, it's like, it's like America, uh, what it would have been like had we lost the second world war or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's like, imagine what the world would be like today if Alexander the great had marched all the way to China. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I, I, I was asking about ideas about negative consequences, about un, unintended consequences. And you, you said something that I think is, a, is an interesting idea. You said, imagine if Alexander the great could, was immortal, but imagine if you had a, Dictator, somebody who's never going to give up their power, like a Fidel Castro, and he and he never died, yeah, yeah. and so Fidel Castro would be the would be the uh, ruler of Cuba for what uh, five hundred years? Imagine you yeah. have one ruler for five hundred years. It's crazy. This is where my mind goes. You know how there's the, all the conspiracy theory about a one world government, yeah. and you know like that's the, that's the ultimate goal. Like the whole world gets on the same page, we're all moving in the same direction, and that this is going to be accomplished somehow by unifying us under a one world government. That kind of conspiracy theory. Imagine a dictator, like you're elected president of the world in a situation like this. We get far enough down the let's say, the, in the futuristic progressive world, where the entire all the countries of the world are are, you know, uh, swearing allegiance to the UN under this president of the world. He can now live forever. So you have a ruler of the entire planet, right, who, who's never going to be voted out or die. And then, I, and then imagine if that person's a ruler for 500 years, like we said, or 1,000 years or 2,000 years or whatever, um, that that person would, would become like something like, like a symbol and no longer like a, like a person. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you, then, then you wonder, do you even need a person in the role of president of the world? You could just put a statue there that we worship. You could just yeah. put, a, you could just carve a fucking statue there. You know what I mean? It's like a placeholder, you know. And then, it, and then it starts to look, it starts to look religious really quickly, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, it's funny. Uh, there's a podcast I'm going to send you because there's a lot of interesting ideas that are talked about in it, and one of them is that. Uh, he, this guy's talking about how he got interested in the ideas of, like, the liberty movement, libertarianism. Um, and it's like he – I forget how, exactly how he made this analogy. But it basically, it's like he was trying to figure things out and he, you know, was, like, trying to figure out politics and he compared it to, like, climbing a mountain. Um, and he got, like, to the top of the mountain of politics and realized that he was just coming around, like uh, – uh, you know, a cliff and that he's like at the foothills of the mountain of religion. Like it's all the same stuff. Oh yeah. Like, uh, what we're trying to do with politics now is like an extension of what we've always been trying to do with religion. Um, in some way, mm. you know, it's like a, a way that we organize back then. It, religion was the way that we organize societies. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, he, that he was talking about that and he was also talking about how libertarianism and just like, Western liberalism in general is like a what's the word I'm looking for like a secularization of Christianity absolutely like it's like taking Christ Jesus out of it uh, but still having like all the the basic ideas of Christianity mm. you know so I thought that was pretty interesting it is interesting so so you're right about like you know, in the old days, like in classical in the classical world, religion and government were basically the same. So the king was like the, the pharaoh, like the god king. And so the person who was the ruler of the religion was the ruler of the state, and there wasn't a difference. And then at some point, we decided to split those roles up. You know, at least in the Western world, we decided to separate uh, church and state. 
so that the the government and the uh, ruler of the of the religion weren't the same person. Um, but, and I think it's interesting that we do that, like in the, like in the name of liberalism, I think that that's what, what was done, you know, to, to try to prevent somebody from having too much power. Um, that we, where was I going with this? Um, hmm, I'm losing a thread there, Kyle. I don't know, man. <sighs> Son of a bitch. Well, hmm, ah, we're, I know we were talking about comparing government and religion, and I was going somewhere in that thread. Disappointing. 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 Oh boy. Oh well. Um, I get too chatty sometimes, man. Yeah, you know, it, it'll definitely, like, you know, the thread gets a you just lose track of it. I don't lose know. track of it. It's it lost in there sometimes. It does. Um, so what else we got? I don't know, man. Well, yeah, I don't know, man. I think we're we're coming up. We're dry. We're, the well is getting dry on us. Um, <laughs> so I do have one other thing that I could talk. I could talk about. It's been a something interesting that's popped up on Twitter over the past couple days. You know, you got a little bit of a man crush on Jordan Peterson, and I uh, I, my, I tend to be, uh, I consider myself more of a Thaddeus Russell guy. I <laughs> love right. Jordan Peterson, don't get yeah, me no, wrong. Yeah, sure. But uh, I, I also love Thaddeus Russell. And Thaddeus Russell has been getting um, drug through the coals on Twitter recently because... Uh, people have been calling him a child molester and what? things like that because he's talking in a nuanced way about age of consent laws. Mm. Okay? Um, and that is a touchy subject, man, because you mention it and people like immediately get defensive and understandably, right. you know, I understand why they do. Um, but then if the person is at least willing to like have the conversation which a lot of people aren't it seems um it doesn't take much to make people realize that like there's some stuff with age of consent laws that makes things like it's like too broad of a what am i trying to say it's like uh it's like you're using this uh like a nine pound hammer when you need like a little tiny Mm. ball peen hammer you know what i mean um you know obviously nobody is arguing that like we shouldn't punish child molesters or anything like that but um you know like a scenario like this stuff was more common like let's say in the early 1900s okay you've got a 15 year old girl mm-hmm. and a 25 year old man yep. and they get married yep. and they have 20 kids and they stay together until they both die yep sure okay so are you gonna talk to that woman who's now 80 and has been with that man the entire time are you gonna be like he raped you you know right it's it's and do you remember what Milo Yiannopoulos got canceled I for? I do, of course. So that's another like weird like I understand why people would like look at the idea of a grown man, like let's say a 25-year-old man um hooking up with a 13-year-old boy. I totally understand why people bristle at that idea. Sure, yeah. Um that being said, you talk to that 13-year-old boy, you know, 17 years later when he's 30 and he says I wanted to be there. It was good for me. He helped me learn how to be, you know, like yeah, uh, somebody who's kind of an outcast in the society. He helped me, like, understand how to navigate through this. What, again, do you tell that person, no, you got raped? I don't know. I mean. Yeah. Well, so, so I, yeah, I got a little bit mixed feelings on this only because. Well, because I have kids, sure. and uh, and Milo, uh, he said, you know, since he, he uh, his his husband uh, has a kid, I think, or they adopted one or something, so he's got a uh, kid that he's kind of helping to raise now. So even Milo has said, and whether this was honest or him trying to, you know, uh, backpedal, uh, he said since he's been raising the kid, he completely understands how inappropriate that situation was. And for those people who don't know, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos at one point in time was sort of a sort of a very hot conservative commentator guy because the left couldn't really touch him because he was he was British he wasn't from the United States he was homosexual and he he was, he was dating a, a black man and he married a black man actually so it's like you know a liberal is going to have a really, very difficult time arguing with this person that that they really can't use any of their you know their coined insults against so he was very very popular for a long time and then publicly said at one point that he was molested by a priest and at that at, at a i think a teenage teenage age frame but with a man that was much older than him and he was <coughs> talking about what 
was good about that experience. Yeah. And, you know, and it, it's, and as far as I'm concerned, it was a, um, you know, how people, how people justify experiences in their lives. You know, even times, uh, when they're bad experiences, you have to put a perspective on it that allows you to live with yourself. And sometimes that means finding the good in it. And it seemed to me like that's what he was trying to do. And the world blew up on him because they thought that him saying he found some value in this experience that most people would consider to be rape of a child. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the worst things you can possibly do. Uh, that that for him to say there was anything good about that meant that he somehow was okay with with adults raping uh, yeah. raping children. You know, yeah, yeah. something like that. That's like the that's the conclusion that people jump to, like the dramatic conclusion. Right. Like I, you know, I I just don't know why you would assume that somebody was jumping to that conclusion. That seems like a crazy thing to think. You know, like this guy's arguing that we should, you know, that right. it's no big deal and and, and, the, and the strangest thing about it is that no nobody nobody defended him and yeah. he he brings that up he he's very sore about that like nobody defended him and um enough enough it wasn't just like one one part of the news or one person was making a fuss everybody was making a fuss about it to the point where he you know he was deplatformed he was one of the first people to be deplatformed yeah yeah so boy um <coughs> so 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 my thought on that is um, is that I can I can understand I can try to put myself in a in a in the shoes of Milo let's say, and understand what the point you were trying to make that if you were part of this super minority group this homosexual part of the community which is I don't I don't, I don't know what the numbers are but I'm guessing it's like less than five percent of the population uh, that y- you wouldn't it would be a mystery to you how because because all of the predominant culture all around you is not helping you it's not telling you what you know what it's like to be like you it's not te- it's not telling you you know uh, you know how to navigate the world as a gay person let's say how to find how to find other people like you to have a community with to ha- to you know to have a relationship with um you know all of the risks and obstacles that you're going to encounter that are going to be unique to you because you're gay and all the people around you aren't yeah you know like i can completely understand that if somebody gave you insight into that you would be grateful but if they did that by by they did that by fucking you when you're when you're when you're a kid. Then I put then I have to put myself in the in the head of that 20, 25, 28 year old priest and look down at this thirteen year old boy. Then I put myself in that position and I, and I say, "You son of a bitch!" I, it's not it's not okay. It wasn't okay. Even, and even though even though everything I said a minute ago about about getting a glimpse into you know what it was going to be like to be gay and the world that you were going to have to learn and getting somebody knowledgeable this one in a million person uh giving you that information i i completely understand how that would be valuable and you and you would be grateful for that sure. but at the price of his i can't even say the word I, I was going to get a little too graphic on the podcast but that price is too <laughs> that price is too high and if i was a moral person and I, if i put myself in the brain in the head and the body of that priest uh, if I was a moral person, there is no effing way I could have done that. And if you're if you're in a position like that, um, uh, as a religious person, you, you, there's higher standards for your mo- moral behavior, and I just can't I can't get behind it. Sure, I, I mean, I think that it that particular situation makes it like even weirder because there's this religious aspect to it. And that religion carries with it a set of, like, morals and standards. Yes. Um, so that makes it, you know, a little bit more complicated, I think. Um, well, I don't even know if complicated. It just adds another level to it. But, um, so... It, it, do, it does, yeah. I still think that there's something to consider that there are a lot of gay men, Particularly, who have had those experiences where they had sex with an adult mm-hmm. when they were in their formative years, right? And they all have like fond memories of it and say that it was beneficial to them. Yep. I think that there's something to consider there. I, I think, um, you know, I don't know what it is. It's not an easy thing to think about. It's not like uh, you know, uh, but. I do think that there's something to consider there. And I also think that when you take other things into consideration, like I said, the, 
that situation like the 15 year old girl 25 year old they get married and stay together forever right okay that's something that's like an exception is it the majority of the rule no you know like no that's not what happens most of the time but i don't think that like throwing that guy in jail or or like telling that lady who was there willingly her entire life that she was somehow you know yeah no. I think that's complicated. And then I, you think of, like, a situation where, like, a guy who is 18 uh, is dating, like, a 15-year-old, okay? Right. And his parents decide that they hate him and fuck his life up. Yeah. Now he's on a sex offender registry. Yeah, no, I get that. So Absolutely. That seems like that, – that doesn't seem you're, like it makes sense, you're, you know? You're, you're right. So I, I, th- it's an emotional issue because an, immediately people are like, protect the kids, which makes sense. I completely understand that, that instinct. But I think when you have these, like I said, you're you're using this big nine-pound sledgehammer when, like, it's m- more fine-tuned than that. I think it should be, like, judged on an individual basis uh, on some level. No, absolutely. I agree. I 100% agree. And, and that, you know, because like, it brings to mind things like mandatory minimum sentencing. So, mm-hmm. like, if I'm, that, if I'm that 18-year-old guy that, you know, just turned 18 and I've been, you know, been dating this uh, – this girl who's you know 15 or whatever for a year and and something like that goes down or the fi- the, fa- the family decides they're going to you know press charges or something and suddenly I'm my entire life has been destroyed yep. um, that's not fair and it, even even if the facts of the case in that situation say that he's guilty by the letter of the law um, it, it's the law is not a one, one size fits all solution. So in that in that case, if you were to say, okay, there's a mandatory minimum sentence, this kid has to go to jail for five years because it's the mandatory minimum. I don't know if, what the case is, but those sorts of laws exist where the, where these mandatory minimums, where even even if a judge wants to, they can't they can't give you a custom uh, sentence. Yeah. It seems to me that every case should be like that, considered yeah. by the freaking facts and circumstances. Yeah, I think. Uh if I'm not mistaken, I think that everybody's hero, Joe Biden, had a lot to do with those like mandatory minimum type of shit. Mm. That 90s crime bill that he was a huge part of. Fuck Joe Biden. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, somebody who's somebody who wants to be president should not be allowed to be president. And if that means Trump can't be president, I guess that means Trump can't I be president. I don't want Trump to be president. Man, I had to tear into Trump. You know, my mom is still like rah, rah, Trump. Yeah. And. I think Trump's, I mean, I, I kind of, you know, I, I guess, let, let me try not to be inflammatory because I want to say Trump's a loser, mm. but Trump is, as as a leader, as a conservative leader, Trump was not very effective. Um, and basically by any metric, like, I'm not sure, he built like part of a wall. I mean, what, I mean, you know, he cut well, taxes. He, he renegotiated tra- trade with China. and he, Which I don't, I mean, you know, if you're a, a strict libertarian, you can make a case for that not being good, yeah. that we are just going to eat those costs anyways, so. Right, but it's cut, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sit here and sure, play devil, devil's advocate, but, yeah, yeah. but it's kind of an experiment. It's like, it hasn't been tried. Sure. So it's like having, having a, a different trade balance with, with the, you know, China, we haven't tried it. Yeah. If we if we tried it, maybe would it might be better. So you know maybe we could give it a shot. So I don't know. I just I just think that all of the stuff that Trump supporters seem to care about, I just don't really know what he brought them on any of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Biden's president now. It's all getting rolled back. Um, you know. Uh, but that being said, I do have to give him credit. It it harkens back to something we were talking about earlier. He totally cut the legs out from the corporate media. Oh, yeah. You know, even like even there are a lot of liberals who hate Trump, who understand that the media was lying about him through through their teeth the entire time. So that's more 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 obvious now than ever. And that goes back to the the hypocrisy thing that I mentioned. It just keeps stacking up. And I don't know how the left expects to get to win hearts and minds to get the independents to come over to their side. Yeah. Doing that. Uh, It seems like that that's the opposite. That's never going to work. Um, that what will work is is bringing a bunch of illegal aliens over here who who uh, they they extend the right to vote to, yeah. you know. It, it, I don't think again you're not going to sit here and lie to us, uh, telling us you know um, 
well, like the, the, the origin of the virus telling us that, that it, you know, there's no way it came from the lab and we're all racist for thinking that. Fast forward three Fold months that. and they're saying the same thing now. Yeah. Um, this, the, the, people, the people that, you know, they're even saying that the, that, the, that the Republicans and that the conservatives were responsible for the defund the police movement. Now this is becoming, this is becoming a, a more, a more a pushed part of the narrative, which is completely bonkers. If you're trying to convince me and I'm on the fence that I should, be, that I should become a liberal and, and adopt those values, um, you're never going to convince a reasonable person if that's what we're seeing from you in the media. You're never going to do it. So you've got the people you already have, and you've got most of their kids, and you've got you know uh, the best part of the of the college population. You get those are those people you've got. Yeah. If you can't win with those people, you're not going to win any new hearts and minds that way. You're going to have to bring in you're going to have to bring in people who are who you can buy their vote, and that's and with open borders, that's what's happening. And it's really, it's right, it's right up there with the election uh, being, uh, there being, um, there being uh, serious concerns about whether the election was legitimate. Again, wh- whether you're, the left is never going to say that, but the rest of America has doubt. Yeah. The rest of America has doubt. I'm lumping that sort of thing right in with this, yeah. where, where what the left is doing is beginning to undermine the entire faith in the system. I love it. Jesus. Yeah, I, uh, I I I dig it. I think it's good on some level. <laughs> um, but one thing that I think is particularly frustrating and kind of entertaining, honestly, is people who are like otherwise intelligent but blue pilled on the media. Um, I'm thinking of one particular person that I work with. It's like I'll bring up the fact that like Fauci, you know, there's email proof that he knew that it being leaked from a lab was a legitimate possibility. Mm. And then he would go out on TV having that knowledge and say, there's no way that it came from the lab. So he's obviously lying through his teeth. Like mm. there's no question about that. He's fucking lying. Yep. Okay. And you'll hear these people make excuses. Well, you know, they're, they're the lead. They're the people who are in charge. Sometimes they have to make a decision to lie to, you know, mm. and I just, it's like, are you fucking listening to yourself? Yep. They're, just, I mean, they're, ju- they're justifying it on one hand, and they're crucifying it in the other hand. It's, it's so fucking weird, man. It's like just imagine that that was like on the other foot, you know? It, uh, that I don't. It was like a Trump guy who got caught lying. I, I, I want to make this comparisons because we have to wrap up. Unfortunately, this has to be a short episode. Yeah. But tell me what you think about this comparison. Remember when we did the episode on Timothy Leary, mm-hmm. and we and we were talking about how Timothy Leary was doing legitimate scientific research with LSD, mm-hmm. and then the government stepped in and told him he couldn't do it. So his first instinct was to start a church that had a sacrament. Their yeah. LSD was a sacrament. And then the government cracked down on, on the church and said they won't legitimize the church. Then he runs for governor. Yeah. He's like, I'll just be the government then. Like, Fuck you. And this is what I see from the left. And you tell me if you think this is fair, but I think this is a good place to wrap up. It seems to me like the, the small, loud part of the population that are the, uh, the extreme progressives, the people who put Biden in office that they couldn't get enough votes to win over Trump. So they stole the election. They manipulated, they manipulated the machines, they, whatever they did that the Arizona audit's talking about and that other states will be talking about. Whatever was done, because there's already legitimate fraud, even though when Trump brought that up, they said there was no basis for it, the courts wouldn't hear it. Now there is, suddenly. So, um, oh boy, where was I going with this? Oh, uh, so okay, so the, so the liberals don't get don't have enough votes to win uh, over Trump, so they so they figure out how to steal the election or to, or manipulate the the numbers. That doesn't work, so they or at least it won't work a second time because now the fucking you know the, our eyes are open to that. So they're slowly letting in hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants who are who are again historically almost certain to vote Democrat. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, for the last you know two two years plus, have been pushing for expanding voting rights to illegals. So it seems to me like that is exactly the same sort of thing that we saw with Timothy Leary. One angle after the next after the next to ensure that they can that they can maintain power. Yeah, I mean I I'm right there with you on that for the most part. Um, although I, I I'll say this to end on you say that the immigrants who are coming in can be reliably depended on to vote Democrat. And I'm with you that that is true. 
but I don't know if that will always be the case. And there's interesting. There's an interesting case. Uh, some like county and city in Texas that uh, went hardcore for Hillary, and um, then or no no no. I forget what it was, but basically, I forget the exact dates and when the elections were, but basically, they were hardcore anti-Trump, mm. okay? And then in the capital city of that county, they elected a mayor who's, like, who's kind of in line with Trump. So mm. it seems like maybe they're, like, shifting over a little mm. bit. And I think that people will see – people respond to incentives in the environment, and I think if these people see that these policies aren't working – they might just start to change, you know? Oh, yeah. So, it, I don't know. I just try to be hopeful. Yeah, absolutely. White-pilled. <laughs> absolutely. All right, guys. That's great for a 4th of July episode. Um, a mixed bag of, of emotions. Happy birthday, Jesus. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, George Washington. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work, thinking. It's hard and full of uncertainties, but I'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together. Here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze. See what I did there? Let's find out together in the next episode.